and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. God's interest and involvement in our lives isn't just about us as individuals, but our families as well. Executive Director of Family Transformation Jimmy Kim brings us this sermon entitled Transforming Families, which covers Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 9. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Perimeter Church. Our scripture reading this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Stephen. And as we have been doing, let's together pray the prayer of illumination. Together. O make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip in conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and happy new year. So glad to see you here and uh, worshiping together with us this morning. Today I get the opportunity to, to, to preach from a passage that is very well known on a topic that is very near and dear to, to many of us, which is our families. Uh, this idea of how do we seek transformation in our families, whether as parents, as children, as um, prospective parents perhaps, or those who long to be a part of a family. Uh, maybe you've grown up in a, in a home where family was very dysfunctional, and you're wanting to seek restorative transformation. Well, I hope that today's word would be a blessing to all of us today. I want to, before we dive in, I want to ask you a quick question. When was the last time you've been around kids and you've seen them play? And, you know, oftentimes, you know, you can kind of throw them a ball or give them an activity, and you can tell them, go play football or go play tag. And inevitably what happens in the midst of that game is that rules are being made up as you go, right? You know this, if you've ever played with any young kids especially, right? It's like, no, 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 you can't do that. The rule is whatever the rule is, right? And usually it starts off very ordinary, benign, very straightforward and simple, and then it becomes incredibly complex to the point where if you're like me as an exhausted dad, you're just like, that's it, I'm done, I don't want to play anymore, Now, what's especially fun is when you combine that with the rules of the house, right? The rules of our house state you do not walk inside with your shoes on. You take them off at the door, right? And you place your shoes properly on the shoe rack. Another rule of the house, and I think this is much more universal, which is you don't touch the thermostat. That job is only for dad, right? Uh, My dad had that very firm rule. It was never communicated. It was never written on the wall. I just knew, right, I never touched the thermostat. I knew that also when I made steps to go toward the thermostat to lower it in the summer and to raise it in the winter, my dad was surely to be right there. Um, 
So when you have a kid who comes up with a rule, like let's say the game is, I don't know, last to leave. And if you don't know what that is, it literally is that. You get a bunch of kids in a room and the last one to leave is the winner. Right? And they come up with different rules. And this happened this other day, um, literally yesterday. We had bedding in our bathtub. That was part of the rules of the game. And it should go without saying that we have a rule in our house. We don't put bedding in the bathtub. And yet you had this mashup of these rules that happened. Rules are important. Guidelines are important to the healthy functioning of households, of families, of individuals, even people in places and nations. And this is what we see here in Deuteronomy 6. You may recognize Deuteronomy 6 as the great commandment, and so that is what we're going to start with. And really, our three points kind of flow in this manner. The law that is observed. Secondly, the law that is applied. Thirdly, the law that is fulfilled. Observed, applied, and fulfilled. You know, my desire for this sermon is to help identify methods and strategies for positively impacting families. But we know that there are many factors involved. The first one is this, that we live in a very broken, broken world. And ultimately, we're dealing with the reality of sinful hearts. The sinful heart of children, the sinful heart of parents, the sinful heart of all people. I can give helpful tips, and I will give some. I'll give some helpful resources and opportunities. But if we were able to kind of collectively... Um, um, co collectively collect. That doesn't make sense. That's redundant. But if we were able to collect all the great ideas that are out there, the traditions that your families have and the traditions that my family has that do point children to the Lord and do point families to the gospel, we would have a long list of incredible things. That's not what this sermon is about. Instead, this sermon is about getting to the heart of the matter. Because what works for you may not work for me and what works for me may not work for you. What is the common denominator? And I believe it starts with the great commandment here in Deuteronomy 6. So verses 4 through 5 in Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The verses here start with the word Shema, in the Hebrew, which is how this passage is known, the great Shema, right? It's similar to a parent or an older person saying to you, look here, listen to me, listen up, come close, right? Because what is about to follow is of an utmost importance, right? There's an urgency. And what is the urgent message? The urgent message is this, the exclusivity of God who deserves undivided love and worship. All your heart, all your soul, all of your might. And this stands in stark contrast to the context of where we find the Israelites in Deuteronomy right now. Now, just a quick, quick history lesson. Why Deuteronomy? Well, what does even Deuteronomy mean? It means the second giving of the law. Right? The second giving of the law. Why a second time? Well, because the first time when the, Egypt, the, when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, and the first law was given, and then they were on the cusp of the promised land, what did the Israelites do? They failed to believe. They doubted. 
And they rebelled against Moses and the leaders, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who gave a positive report of the land. And what was their punishment? But to wander into wilderness for another 40 years until that first generation had passed away and that the new promise, or the promised land rather, would go to a new generation, the generation of their children. So again, this call to a monotheistic system, to a, to this call to a singular God stands in stark contrast to the land that they were leaving, that is Egypt, who had had many gods, and the land that God was taking them to, Canaan, which also had many, many gods. Why were they to be different? Why this emphasis on one God? Because this goes all the way back to Genesis 12, to God's promise to Abram. And what did he say to Abram? I will bless you. Why? To be a blessing. And what is it that is, what does it look like to be blessed? And that is to know God. And how was Abram to be a blessing? To make him known to the people and to the nations around him. So that's the context of where we are in Deuteronomy, a new generation. So the law is given again. We see a repeating of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, and then we hear this in Deuteronomy 6. Listen, people, our Lord is God. Our Lord is one, so love him with your whole being. What is at stake here? It's their identity and their whole purpose because it could have easily been forgotten as they wandered for 40 years. So God reminds them, Moses reminds them, our purpose, people, before we go into the promised land, is that God rescues us. God calls us. God brings us out of slavery. It is God alone who will sustain us as he did in the desert through manna and water from the rock. It is God alone who will bring us into this place, this promised land of blessing, who will keep us and who will bless us. Even Jesus himself speaks of the great Shema as the first and great commandment in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God, he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So what is Jesus getting at? What he's getting at is this, to love God with your total being, that he alone, that God alone is the object of our worship because he is our whole identity, he is our whole purpose, he is our whole calling. So what we observe in Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 22 it's a command that encapsulates the heart of the Old Testament law. The Israelites were to exclusively love, be devoted to, and worship God. Because this is what set them apart from the people around them. They were to be known first by their devotion to this one God. And so there's a challenge, right? The challenge is how do you maintain the right heart toward obedience because if you're anything like me obedience is almost a dirty word you don't see obedience as a positive thing or the challenge is, is making sure that obedience is not just a duty but also a delight i saw this in my own life i see this even today but especially when i was a child I wanted to be known as a good kid. Part of me being known as a good kid was because of a fear that I had of my parents. 
right? A fear of the rod, if you will, or often in my case, a slipper or whatever was handy. There was also a great sense of honor and duty to my parents, right? My behavior and my performance in school with their friends out and, out and about, right? That's how others perceive not just me, but also my mom and dad and my brother. Ultimately, this was what was in my heart. I wanted people to like me and approve of me, especially the people that I wanted to impress. So here's a silly example of this. In my old church, where I was growing up, much smaller church than Perimeter, every now and then we would gather families or different ministry groups to come and do the custodial work of the church. And so I always volunteered to vacuum because I felt like vacuuming was like, you know, maximum gain for little effort, right? Because really what was doing the work for you was this machine. All I had to turn it on was, you know, all I had to do was turn it on and push it around, right? The other thing was with vacuuming was like, man, I can be in a visible area where people will see me vacuuming. And they will think, wow, Jimmy is such a good kid. He's a good vacuumer and he's a good kid. This is how wicked my own heart was. I would flick that thing on and I would wait until I heard footsteps coming around the corner. And then I would start vigorously vacuuming. They'd turn the corner and leave. I'll you know, probably think, wow, that Jimmy's such a good kid, such a good vacuumer. The moment they're gone, guess what? I'm just standing there. Mission accomplished. Someone saw how good I was. I loved that. You see, what was really happening, what was really in my heart was a sense of pride and selfishness. Because I wanted to perform in such a way so as to win the approval of others so that I would feel good. Really, the great commandment of my life at that point and what I struggle with today and I would dare say we struggle with as well is that I loved me with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my might. It was about me. And what I needed most was to be redirected to something outside of myself, to someone else's glory, someone else's honor, and not my own. It's interesting how no one had to teach me about receiving glory and attention. But I wanted to hoard it for myself instead of giving it to its rightful place. So then, here is our application. How important then is it for us in the home to tease out the great commandment? Whether you have kids or not, whether you have um, children in the home or maybe your, your grandparents now or never were married, want to get married, wherever you might be on this journey of life, right? How do we tease out the great commandment where we are? And the first thing is this, that we see it not as a burden, but as a delight, that I get to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and might, not I have to, right? It's a change of the attitude. It should be a delight to show the people around us, especially our children, of the ways of the Lord. And we believe this firmly here at Perimeter Church, that spiritual formation begins in the home with the relationships closest to us, that is our family. So how would you apply this in your house? Again, if we were to poll Perimeter Church, we would come up with lots of great ideas, lots of great practices and traditions. Well, let me first say this before we get to any practical thing. Raising a family is hard, and you know it. 
whether they're infants, toddlers, elementary aged, teenagers, adults. Wherever you are on that journey, again, raising a family is incredibly challenging. And dare I say, more so challenging now with some of the, the distractions that are available to our kids today and even to parents. So part of my encouragement to you is that you're going to be inconsistent. It's going to be hard, and it's okay, right? We're going to be hard on ourselves and our children. We're going to be judgmental. But what are you going to do with that? My encouragement to you is to keep in mind, observe this law, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that God alone is God, and that God calls and establishes his people for his glory and our benefit. Remember, God is for you, not against you. Really, the law is summed up this way. Obey and be blessed. Disobey and be cursed. More on that later. So we ask yourself the question, what do I love with my whole heart and soul and might? What grabs my attention? What stops me in my tracks? Evaluate and consider what it is that shapes our world. Is it the things of God? Is it God's word? Is it worship, both personal and corporate? Is it prayer or other disciplines or habits that are meant to increase our affections for God and the, and the things that are holy? What am I in awe of? Do I stop in awe of the created thing or do I progress that awe further to the creator himself? Perhaps. By asking ourselves these questions, we will identify and, Lord willing, confront and overcome the idols of our hearts. Just as I do, almost on a daily basis, this idol of approval. So we observe this law, but also we look to apply this law. And so we, what do we see here in our text, starting in verse 6? It says, These words that I command you today, Moses says, shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice how Moses goes almost immediately to the family unit. The application of this commandment to love the Lord your God is to remind ourselves to love the Lord our God wherever we go, right? It was a reminder not only to the individual because it didn't stop and start there. It goes to the family unit, to the community, right? One's identity doesn't start and end on the individual, but includes the family unit. From parents to their children, from their children to their children, from generation to generation, in the book, Ten Commandments, the Manual for Christian Life, Jay Duma, who is a, a Dutch scholar and theologian, he says this, in Israel, parenthood functioned properly when parents preserved God's word in their own hearts first and then handed it down to their children. It's kind of like the, the airplane, right? When the mask comes down, what do they always tell you? Put your mask on first and then put the mask on to the people next to you. Knowledge and familiarity with God's word as an, is an indicator of the very presence of God. 
it points us to Christ himself who says what? We read it earlier in our confession. The word that dwelt among us. Right? We don't forget this word. You know how the ancient Jews and Jews even today apply this? They literally write it on pieces of paper and they fasten it to their doorposts, right? Um, very traditional Jews, what they do is they, they put on phylacteries, right? They put these words down on paper, they put them in boxes and they put them on their foreheads. Right? They put them on their wrists so that the word of God is close, it's always present, it's always within eyesight. For us today, I don't know if we need to go that far necessarily, and I'm not discouraging anyone from putting visible reminders of God's word. I think that is an important thing to do. But another way for us to do this is through scripture memory, right? We, we can put the physical reminders around us, we can memorize these passages of Scripture to remind us of God's love and what our duty is to God. And in fact, we should do this. The psalmist takes an entire chapter, Psalm 119, right? The longest chapter in all of Scripture. And what does he devote himself to talk about? His love for God's Word. And we know the verse in 105, Your Word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is essential do we see God's word this way? There are many resources out there, not only for scripture memory, but just engaging scripture in the home. So here's a bit of practical advice, right? And again, I'll be the first one to admit how inconsistent I am in my own home with my own family on these matters. The first one is just having a family Bible and having a time to sit down and engage scripture and engage one another and to pray. Sometimes that looks like 15 minutes at best. Other times that looks like five minutes and then someone's getting in trouble, right, and being told to go brush your teeth and go to bed. Sometimes we'll read from a passage of Scripture. Sometimes we will read when they were younger to them in bed from the Jesus Storybook Bible, an excellent resource. We've kind of graduated on from that, and we started reading the biggest story Bible storybook. I know that sounds like a typo, but that is the name of the book. The biggest story, Bible story book. Perhaps, I think, the most beautifully illustrated children's Bible there is. There are other devotionals, and I'll throw out one quick uh, plug for this, which is the book Habits of the Household. We're on New Year's Day, right? And we're, we're coming up with new resolutions and new things that we want to employ in our families for our own sake, for our own health. Habits of the Household by Justin Early. It's a fantastic, helpful guide and resource. Another fantastic thing that we can do is to teach the truth of Scripture to our children. And one of the ways that we've begun to do that here, even at Perimeter, many of you know the legacy of these little cards, right? If you're in kids' discipleship or what we call Kids Thrive, right? Got Truth. Um, I have the four from my son uh, that are here in my Bible and what now they do is not only memorize passages of Scripture, they've begun to start memorizing catechism questions. Now, not the entire catechism questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism or the Heidelberg Catechism or even the New City Catechism, but the first catechism by Great Commission Publications. And it is fascinating to see as my son engages with this, right, and how I can ask him truth about God and about the things of God and how quickly he can respond. 
There's an interesting example that we see in Scripture, though. When we start applying some of these principles, right, it looks good in the immediate. Look at Joshua, the leader who comes up after Moses to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua 1, 6 through 9 says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people, the Israelites, to inherit the land that I swore their fathers to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then we see throughout the book of Joshua this conquest that happens. And success that the Lord gives to Joshua and to the Israelites. To the point that we get to in Joshua 24. Famously, he says, as for me and my house, right, he charges them before his death, who will you follow? Choose this day. And what does he say? For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what do the people say in response? The Lord God, we will serve. His voice, we will obey. And you flip the page to Judges. And what have the people done? They forgot. They forgot. I don't think it's because they weren't memorizing I don't think it's because they weren't around God's word, but it had become a duty and not a delight. We notice something interesting here by looking at Joshua. Even though God had freed his people from slavery and captivity for the purpose of freedom, what do they do? They enslave themselves to the gods of the land. God had given them strict commands for how to be blessed, and it was through obedience. And they forgot. Their heart and heart settled. They thought, look, look at what we have done. They forgot the miraculous things that God had done for them. And like I mentioned, if this was Israel who witnessed the very miracles, how much harder for us as our families, as we lead our families, and as we lead our discipleship groups, as we seek to, to bring spiritual uh, transformation and impact to the places where, where we go. There's a lot of pressure on us. And this is where we as a church, we want to come alongside of you and help you. Two specific ways where we want to partner with you, even in this year, one comes this very month, and another one hopefully will be released later on in the year, which is a, a family worship guide, a practical resource and, um, and equipping for you to begin family worship, a rhythm of family worship in your home. And we don't want to just address those parents with young kids in the home, but also grandparents, also those of you who may be empty nesters, those of you who can apply these principles even in your discipleship leading. And the other one is one that's coming at the end of this month, which is a parent equipping night with Crawford and Karen Loritz. And this is going to be an excellent evening of just community and equipping around how do we make sense of all these little moments in our children's lives and in our parenting lives. Again, whether they're little children or older children in or outside of the home, how do we take all of these collective moments and what are we going to make them into? Is it something to rest our laurels on about how good of parents we were? Or are we going to make God 
great and make God known. If you've never heard Crawford preach or teach, then put this on your calendar and come. I believe you will be incredibly blessed. So we observe this law. We seek to apply this law, but undoubtedly by this point, if you're anything like me, you're overwhelmed. How? How do I fulfill this law? How do I, I mean, I can seek to apply it. I know what it is, but how do I truly fulfill this law? And the answer is this, you cannot do it. I cannot do it. We cannot fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And this is good news for us because it points us to someone outside of mom, of dad, of grandma, grandpa. It points us to Jesus. We already saw this earlier, but Jeremiah 31 hits it right on the head. It says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, meaning on two stone tablets, but I'm going to put it on their hearts. I will write it on their hearts, it says in verse 33. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. How? How will God remember their sin no more? Through a person. His name is Jesus. Paul writes in Galatians 3, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law at that point was our guardian, our tutor, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by obedience? No. Justified by faith. Faith in the obedience of another. By faith we are justified as having kept the entirety of the law. Because you know who loved the Lord God with all of his heart, soul, and might? It was Jesus, God's very son. And by faith in him, we too are righteous before God. But it's not just a one-way street, is it? Right? It's not just that Jesus gives to us his righteousness by faith. What else happens? The burden, the weight, the punishment of our sinfulness and our brokenness, our wickedness. That punishment goes to Christ and we see it on the cross. This is why the Advent, this is why Christmas is so important. Jesus himself says, I did not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Vern Poitras, in his book, The Shadow of Christ and the Law of Moses, puts it so well. What was temporary and shadowy in the form of the Old Testament law is superseded now that God's glory and kingly power are being manifested in the very person of Jesus and in his ministry. The promise of the kingdom of heaven involves the intensification of all that serve to manifest God in the Old Testament. That is, from the very beginning of the Old Testament until his arrival in the New Testament. Right? There's this building, this anticipation, this climaxing of something that is happening, pointing to something. And that person is Jesus, all transformed by the supremacy and the weightiness of God himself coming to save. 
because he knew that the law was not sufficient to save his people because they would never be able to keep it entirely. It would be just a matter of duty, not delight. And so by faith, by faith in Christ, we are saved. No amount of human obedience will be enough to make us righteous before God. Because who under our own ability can possibly love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and might? None of us. No amount of memorization of scripture, no amount of religious items in our home is going to save us. No amount of adherence to the Ten Commandments will save us as individuals, as families, and dare I say, even as a nation, though it does have a proper use in those places. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot earn forgiveness. We cannot earn God's favor. This is the blessing and the cursing of which I mentioned earlier. Moses told the Israelites, I want you to be a blessing to the people around you. Know the Lord and help others to know the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, others won't know the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, you will be cast out from the presence of God. And so he says, obey and be blessed. Disobey and be cursed. But who receives the curse in this instance? Christ. Jesus Christ becomes sin. He who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise the Lord. Christ alone bore the wrath of God for our sin. And he also lived the life that we could not possibly live. We see this double action happening. And you might be thinking, how does this, how, Jimmy, does this transform our families? Well, the reason I came up with this and the reason why I settled on this is not because of a, a laziness on my part, but rather a careful studying of the, the 20 plus years of ministry that I've done to multiple families, hundreds of families. And, and I've taken note and I've asked people, what is, it, what is it about you and your family that makes you guys look so good? And I don't mean like outward appearance, but you guys seem so healthy and adjusted and your kids love the Lord. How do I get there? When I was before I was even married, and especially when I was married, and especially when we started having children, I would go and identify these individuals and ask them, how is it that you have such a healthy family? And you know what their response always was? It was never a formula. It was never a book. It was never a guide, though those things were helpful. They always pointed to one thing first and foremost. Jimmy, it's all because of God's grace through Jesus. And here I am as a pastor hearing this and saying, that's not enough. I want more than that. I know it's about Jesus, but you got to give me something more than that. The common denominator is a humble reliance upon God to sustain and guide these individuals and their family units for all the good. You know what they say? It's by grace alone, by God's grace alone. He's good. And even in the very hard difficult things of life, where do they lean? They lean on God's grace. They say, Jimmy, God's grace will get me through, will get us through. That's all we have. Time and time again, I see this. Moms, dads, children, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, discipleship group leaders, ministry leaders, pastors who do this one thing 
they run to Jesus and they direct others to do the same. They do the very thing that God commanded the Israelites to do. Know the Lord and make him known. They recognize their identity. They recognize their purpose in life. So whether it's in the context of family or in the context of work or in the context of ministry, in the context of just being out and about, know the Lord and make him known. Run to Jesus because he's the great comforter. He's the great provider. He's the great sustainer. He is the creator of all things. He is the object of our worship. Transformation in our families and in our communities can only take place when Christ is at the center of our lives. So let's aim, church, to teach this and pass this on to our children and to the next generation. Yes, it might look like some practical things, but if we're not pointing them to Jesus and if we're not living out Jesus to them, somewhere along the line, then we're failing. It's New Year's Day. And so my son and I, when we were walking into church this morning, he turned over to me and said, Dad, what's going to be your resolution? Right? And we didn't talk about this like, you know, in the weeks leading up to this. He's not on social media, so he doesn't know like, how to do a 2022 recap and a 2023 looking forward to. Right? He's eight years old. And he says, what's going to be your resolution, Dad? And I was like, oh, you know, I think I just want to laugh more. And he goes, oh, that's a good one, Dad, because you don't laugh at home. You're always... <laughs> He says, you're always mad. <laughs> and I wanted to laugh like you laughed. But I was, I was heartbroken. Because I realized, how was I pointing him? What was I teaching him? How was I transforming his life? Dad's a curmudgeon. He's unhappy. Everything that I do is just going to make dad mad. So you talk about something that's humbling as going to an eight-year-old and saying, you're right. Dad, sorry. Can you forgive that? I need Jesus as much as I tell you you need Jesus. Let's go to Jesus together. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will lead us to yourself through Jesus, your son. Lord, we long for more of you would you and you alone be the object of our worship, our undivided attention? Because God, you made us, you've sustained us, you've called us and you've given us a purpose to know you and make you known. Transform us, God. Transform our families. It's not too late. Don't let the enemy come in and say that it's too late or that our efforts are not good enough or never will be good enough. Lord, would we take a stand and say, Lord, we, for your glory, delight in your law and delight in your son Jesus who came to fulfill it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in worship. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.